0: You know, as I, as I think about the cultural moment we are in, I think about uh, this idea that, that fear will shape your whole life if you let it. There is, there is this difference between, like, like, the emotions of fear and then, and then fear being, like, such a constant in our life where, where we end up being formed by those emotions, formed by those things. Uh, fear has a way of forming us in ways that do not contribute to, like, the wholeness and health of, like, my family fear has a way of forming us in a way that does not contribute to the wholeness and the health of my spirit. And so with honesty, we have to acknowledge, I think, how much we're formed by fear, how much this affects us on like the daily. And so again, we, we, we come to scripture and we try to understand what it's teaching us. And we see repeated over and over and over again, this invitation to not fear. It's really this invitation. I want you to see this command of, of do not fear not so much as like a um, like like a like a like a frustration from God to us. I want you to see it as an invitation from God to us into a, a different way of living than what has come. Hey, I'm excited to be here to, uh, together today to continue on in a, uh, the teaching series that we are in called "Make It Make Sense." Um, and uh, man, this is a teaching series where. Uh, we have just been uh, essentially acknowledging the complexity of the Bible. Uh, because um, how many y'all know that reading the Bible is one thing and understanding it is another? Anybody willing to, to acknowledge that, right? Uh, you read it and you're like, man, what did I just read? And I think a lot of that is because, you know, the Bible isn't really a book. It's a, it's a library, okay? It, it's not meant to, to, to really be seen as a book. It's meant to be understood more as a as a library, and uh, so it's this large library of books written over thousands and uh, really thousands, hundreds of years, um, and it is large and it is very intimidating. So I don't know what your experience is with the Bible, but you know perhaps you have uh, just picked up a Bible, tried to read it, and you're just like, man, where do I even start? And and there are words that are used, there's language that you're not familiar with, and it's just incredibly intimidating. I I brought a uh, I brought a personal Bible from home. Um, this is a yeah. This is this is. A, I'm gonna start preaching out of this bad boy. Uh, uh, this is a this is a family Bible that sits on a shelf in our living room. Um, it's been uh, passed down and it's uh, at least 200 years old, and it's actually in pretty good condition uh, given how um, how old it is. But um, you know, I look at it and, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's hard to comprehend that this is like what people used to tote around or, or you'd have like one of these if you were lucky in your, in your, in your house and the family would kind of read it or um, I, I, I try to imagine, you know, preachers preaching out of something like this, you know, and doing your daily devotions out of something. How do you, how do, you do all that, right? It's just, just bizarre. And it's obviously in the old like King James language and um, trying to, to understand the these and the thous and the shalls and the whatever, but um, you know, I look at like this, and I wonder if, even though like the Bible has has gotten much more familiar and easier to understand and access, like we have it in our phones, you know, we have it in like much smaller, you know, leather-bound Bibles. I wonder if like if still a lot of us come and and see the Bible more like this than we do maybe sort of the updated sort of current. Uh, ways of accessing the Bible. If we still don't look at it like this and think, like, man, that is a large, intimidating book. I don't know how to even begin. Like, how, how do you how do you do that, right? And and so we, we see something, you know, like like the Bible, and we're like, man, it's just ancient. It's from thousands of years ago, and it's kind of cryptic in some ways. You know, uh, it, it is it is confusing. You ever read the Bible and just been confused? You ever read the Bible and just been a bit bored? Can we just be honest? Like, like you know, I think that's all right. Uh, you're like, man, are we doing another genealogy again? Like, I don't know, like, what this even, how it pertains to my life. Like, I just got closer to God somehow, and I read, like, a genealogy, you know, in Leviticus. So, um, the Bible, there, to for honest, there's times where the Bible even feels absurd. Where you're like, like, how does that, how do you reconcile what you just read with, like, a good God? Like, it's just absurd, and, and yet, somehow, I, th- I think what we all try to, like, reconcile is this idea that, that, that somehow this book is still supposed to be, like, sacred and powerful and beautiful and moving, life-changing and all of those things. And I think we understand that it is incredibly accessible, uh, right? Like, uh, you know, there's one in every hotel room, every hospital room. It's, it's on your phone. It's free on the internet, uh, quoted, all the time misquoted all the time argued over all of these kinds of things and even if if you and I like know some of the stories which I'm pretty I'm pretty confident there's a lot of us in here know a lot of the stories in in the bible there still seems to be this collective desire at times in all of us for someone to come along and just help make it make sense like I, like right can we just acknowledge that like what what are we even talking about here like all these questions that come to mind like man what does this even mean like i have no idea like how does this all fit together and, and does anyone really still read this anyway, you know? Uh, who actually reads the Bible? And, you know, if, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you're just like reading a devotional that like tells you about the Bible. Who really reads this thing? Because who can really understand it? Um, and so it just seems to me that as a result of all of this sort of confusion around the Bible, people today have more access to it than ever, but couldn't be less interested. And so it becomes this, this sort of book that sits on a shelf and collects dust, you know, it doesn't really get opened, or it becomes an app on your phone that, uh, that, that like, you have to redownload because it's been offloaded because it hasn't been used all that all that often. And uh, I, I tell you all that because, man, like, as your pastor, as your friend, someone who cares about you, uh, the whole point of this series is just simply this. If there's one thing I want most for you, it's to deeply love God's Word. That's it. I just want you to love God's Word. I want you to be someone who who isn't intimidated by it. And when you come... Like, like, to the living word of God, it's not like this, this like, impossible thing to understand. Like, how do I even begin? What do I even do? But instead, it's like he, he, there's a different approach. You're understanding, man, God wants to speak to you through his word, and you're hungry for that. Because I believe that if you would deeply love God's word, it would change your life. I'm going to have, uh, Maddie, why don't you want to just grab this? Because it's, it's going to be difficult to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um... Make sure you follow along. <clears throat> so, uh, man, I got to be honest with you, though, you know, um, even though this is what I want for you, I want you to deeply love God's word. Like, you can't really love something you don't understand. And so, you can't love scripture, I don't think, if you don't understand it. And so, what I, under, what I, what I know about that reality is, is that's one of my jobs in your life to help you understand God's word. Um, you know, um, and one of maybe the best ways to to just start to frame it up. Uh, maybe maybe one of the best ways to start to to kind of put your mind around how to to get yourself into a place of understanding God's word is this: is that we don't just want to read the Bible; we want the Bible to read us. Okay, so we don't just want to read it for information; we don't, we want to read it for transformation. So when we when we when we read the scriptures, when we when we when we spend some time with it, it's not just about getting. Through a chapter that day, or a couple chapters, or man, I gotta get, I gotta get from this page to this page in one day, and I got it all in. It, it's it's about letting Scripture read you, like letting it kind of, kind of, kind of saturate you, like like let it expose the things, let it shine some light, let it bring, you know, uh, bring to the surface, like all the things that you know maybe God would want to talk to you about, and all the things that God would maybe want to address and help you with. And so, we don't just want to read the Bible; we want the Bible. Uh, to read us, and so the goal of the series that we have been in is to just really do a sweeping overview of the entire Bible in four weeks. Uh, pretty easy, right? Uh, and so the 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 you know the goal here is to really hit on the core foundational themes or components of Scripture um, that, that, in my opinion, really really make up this overarching story or overarching meta narrative that is running in the background of every chapter and verse that you read in the Bible. And I think that part of the reason for why the Bible is so difficult to read is that so many people read the Bible without really seeing the greater theme behind every story, the greater theme behind every prophecy, every poem, every letter, every biography, and how, how all of that stuff is just masterfully like, woven together uh, to, to fit into one big story about God's furious love for mankind. I think that so often like there are pieces of the Scriptures just pulled out, examined, and and misunderstood because they're not they're not being read, or or ingested, through like like a, the understanding of a greater meta narrative that is trying to be communicated from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. Let me explain it this way to you. I, I would say this that from cover to cover, the story of Scripture, okay, it's a story. The story of Scripture can be best understood in four simple phrases that are repeated over and over throughout its pages. These four right here. I love you. I'm with you, don't be afraid, you can come home." I would tell you that, that if, you, if, you're, if you're wanting to kind of just get a general understanding of Scripture, everything you read, in my opinion, just about everything you read should be able to fit into one of these four categories, one of these four containers. You're reading a section of Scripture and you're like, yep, that's, that's about God's love. Like, it really is. you got to sometimes look for it, but it's there. Or this is God communicating, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, like I haven't left you, you're not alone. Or this is God saying, hey, look, like don't, don't be afraid, you don't have to fear. Or, hey, I know your mistakes, I know everything you've done, but you still have a place in my family. You can still come home. And so, week one, we talked about I love you. Week two, we talked about I am with you. And today I want to talk about this idea that throughout scripture, one of the large overarching themes and meta-narratives running in the background of scripture is this idea, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What a challenging command. Wouldn't you agree? What a challenging command, don't be afraid. I y'all know that that is a lot easier said than done. You know, I think we we all get the, get it that fear has existed for for a really long time, and you know, I'm not sure that there is anything else with as much power to disrupt our lives the way fear can. Fear has this way of just just I mean, it paralyzes us at times. It can disrupt like 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 a relatively good day. Like uh, it can it can cause things to to just hijack in a, in a hurry, and so. In the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see fear enter into the world after Adam and Eve sin. We see uh, Adam and Eve uh, sin, and then they decide to hide from God. They are fearful in many ways of like now being before a holy God. They know that they've messed up. And so fear enters into the world at that point. And then what we we see as we begin to read further is we see fear over and over and over again in the story of Adam and Eve and their sons, Cain and Abel. We see it through the life of Noah and, and all the people living at that time. Uh, and so we see it repeated. Uh, some say repeated 365 times from cover to cover, one for every day. Tell you me know, we need. We need to be reminded to not fear. Uh, so 365 times this command is repeated. That doesn't include like the stories where, where people were afraid and all of a sudden got, you know, the, the amazing stories like the. Uh, you know, David and Goliath and the Philistines and, and the Israelites, the Israelites are all afraid and David steps up, he's like, God's on our side. It, not even those stories, but just simple commands, don't be afraid. So we see fear over and over again until so God gives the command to Abraham in Genesis 15 to not fear and then it's just like over and over, on repeat, on repeat. You get into the New Testament and it begins with the birth of Jesus and as many of you know, it's the angels commanding Mary, talking to her, saying, hey, don't fear, don't be afraid command is given to Joseph in a dream. The same command is given to the angel, or to the shepherds out in the field. The same command is given to Elizabeth, who would give birth to John the Baptist. Hey, don't be afraid. I know you're really old, you know, like, and you're pregnant now. Don't be afraid. We see uh, then later on in the gospels at the tomb after Jesus's resurrection that the women are told by the angels there to not be afraid. Like, I know that the, that the tomb, the, the stone is rolled away. Jesus isn't here, but like, hey, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Like, all right. We'll do our best. Um, then we see Jesus, you know, uh, as he is in a resurrected state, he visits his disciples, passes through the wall, right? And, and he tells them to not fear. And then, you know, I'm getting somewhere here, but then in Revelation, you go all the way to the end of the Bible, Jesus says this in Revelation 117. He says, don't be afraid. This is his words. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so, and so I want you to just to kind of see, and I can't give you all 365 examples plus the stories, but from cover to cover, there is this command in scripture to not fear, to not be afraid. In the book of Isaiah, there's a classic example of this command to not embrace fear. Isaiah 41.10 says this, so do not fear for I am with you. There's another one of those repeated phrases, right? Do not fear for I am with you. They're in the same scripture here. It says, do not be dismayed, which basically just means you know, having a strong feeling of fear, or worry, or like shock and sadness, like don't be dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, like one of many, where God says something like this, and so again, woven throughout the pages of scripture from cover to cover is this command, do not fear, do not fear, and yet, and yet, I think that we all know that fear has this way of coming for us all, doesn't it? It's this command it's this expectation it's, it's really it's really this invitation. I want you to see this command of, of do not fear not so much as like a um, like like a, like a, like a frustration from God to us. I want you to see it as an invitation from God to us into a, a different way of living than what is common, a different way of living life than what most people do and so Jesus invites us, God invites us into this place of like not having to live by fear and you know as I, as I think about the cultural moment we are in, I think about uh, this idea that, that fear will shape your whole life if you let it, you know? Fear will shape your whole life if you let it. You continue to think about the, the cultural moment we're in, and, you know, every day we're told that we should be afraid of something, right? That whether it's, it's true or not, because fear is the currency of the world that we live in right now. Fear is the currency of, a, uh, of social and political hostility. It's the currency of the 24-hour news cycle, you know, in a world that is, that is marked by dark powers, in a world that is marked by evil forces, fear has become the currency of things like anger and hostility and unrest. And while it's true, you know, as we look around the world right now, as we watch the news and we kind of just assess the lay of the land, like there is, there is much to be concerned about. There is much that, kinda, that, that kind of um, provokes fear in us for sure. But I think that there is a common way in which people relate to fear, a common way that we're probably all familiar with, that people tend to, uh, uh, that people relate to fear that tends to result in there being bigger problems, not lesser ones. Like a way of handling fear that just causes it to to expand and expand and expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger rather than smaller. Fear has this way of compounding fear. Right? It has this way of, of, of forming us and shaping us into who we are, who we become. I want to say it this way, huge thought for the day. We are not called to blindly deny our fears, but instead to resist being formed by them. So what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying here today is like, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting this expectation on you, and I don't think God is either, that you should never feel some emotions around fear. Right, like, like I mean, how many of all know? Like, like in, in December, when our family spent, you know, a, a, a couple days, you know, uh, at the hospital with our daughter, like, they, there was, I mean, there was some fear around all that. There's some fear around, like, what's going to happen here? But, but there is, there is this difference between, like, like the emotions of fear, and then, and then fear being like such a constant in our life, where where we end up being formed by those emotions, formed by those things. Um, Fear has a way of forming us in ways that do not contribute to, like, the wholeness and health of, like, my family. Fear has a way of forming us in a way that does not contribute to the wholeness and the health of my spirit. It has a way of forming us in a way that does not contribute to the wholeness and the health of, like, the world in general, right? And so I just ask you, like, like, how is fear forming your life? In what ways? And to what degree is fear forming the way you're living and showing up in the world. Think about how much is anxiety running and coursing through your body. And for many of us, the answer is just simply a lot. Like for me, for me too. And so with honesty, we have to acknowledge, I think, how much we're formed by fear, how much this affects us on like the daily. And so again, we, we, we come to Scripture and we try to understand what it's teaching us, and we see repeated over and over and over again this invitation to not fear. And so just in terms of, of how often it's mentioned man this has to be like the number one command in scripture right it's like it's like ton hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and i think that that so much of the reason for why this command is repeated so many times is because god is revealing throughout the pages of scripture a very common and frequently used tactic of the enemy which is fear i mean i know you got an enemy I mean, I know you got a spiritual enemy, and one of his primary ways of, like, coming at you and disrupting your life is through fear. The enemy likes to use fear for this purpose, to get us to disengage from our life source in God. Okay? So... So what happens here is, I, I mean, I love God, I'm serving God, and things come into my life that I wasn't expecting. All of a sudden, I'm focused on that. I'm a little panicked. I'm not sure how it's going to work. And all of a sudden, instead of, like, like, being tied into my life sourcing God, I'm now tied into, like, fear and panic and worry and all of those things. And the enemy uses this a lot to kind of get us to disengage from what can bring us peace to cause us to, to really live into a life of anxiety, a life of just anxiousness, a life of fear. There's so many things you and I fear every day that has the ability to like touch our bodies, our lives in terrible ways, whether it's like a diagnosis, it's a, you know, we all hear like the word cancer and we freak out about something like that. Uh, the, pro- the problem with fear isn't so much about like physical things, even though we don't wanna like be like, like so worked up around all that. I think the problem is that fear has a way of getting into our spirit. So it's not just about the fact that like we, we feel these emotions of fear and we get worried about things. The problem is, is like the longer you sit with fear, the more it works its way from your emotions into your spirit, and then it becomes an even larger problem. Let me just tell you this about your enemy as, as we're talking about him. You have an enemy who's trying to put fear in your heart. You have an enemy who's trying to put fear in your spirit, and and so I'm amazed. As I look at my life, right, um, I'm amazed at how much fear has been a major player in my life over the years, like, like truly. Like I, I look and... An honest analysis, you know, and, and and rarely over the years was I ever willing to be honest enough to actually call it out and say, well, man, I'm just afraid. I, there's always like some some better word, like there's, that was just me being wise. That's wisdom, you know, and whatever. But it's really it, it's fear. And um, man, I'd always try to call it something else, but the root of so many of my problems was fear. So it was always things like you know, fear of not having enough money. You know, um, man, I've had I've had times of just like kind of waking up in a cold sweat, just like I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do, like, or or you know, just afraid, fear of failing, fear of fear of failing, like um, as a, as a dad, fear of failing as a husband, fear of failing as your pastor, as your leader, just just going, man, I I hope I hope we're doing this okay, I hope it's working out, you know, like I hope hope we're gonna get there like someday, and um, just fear of like of of just. Uh, yeah, uh, people putting some trust in me and not knowing if I have always what it takes. Fear of, of things like abandonment where like, you know, uh, people who are closest to me in my life, you know, uh, they're just gonna turn their back. They're gonna, they're gonna leave, they're gonna go. Um, fear of what people might think of me. Fear of making the wrong decisions. I mean, I don't know if you're a leader. You ever had a, you had a fear of making the wrong decisions if you're a leader? Fear of looking like I'm an idiot. Like, just like, looking like a fool. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on, and and so, look, I was I was um, I was talking to the staff this morning. I talked to some people earlier this week about uh, who are, uh, I'm trying to kind of raise up to help do some uh, additional teaching in our church. But I was talking about this idea. I came across this principle where, like, we want to preach from change, not just like for change, when we're handling God's word. Like, that should be a goal of mine. Not just, to, not just to preach for you to change, but for me to preach from a place of change myself. Does that make sense? And, and like I talked to Tim, like when he leads worship, not just like for you guys to like up your game and change, but like for him to be there as well. Like you gotta, it's hard to take people places you've never been. Does that make some sense? Okay, and so, and so that's, when, I, when I'm looking at this, this message and I'm, I'm going back through, through my life and I'm kind of looking at like moments of fear and panic and how that stuff has shown up in me, I'm like, I'm like man, I, I want to be able to come to you today and tell you like, man, I'm preaching from a place of change. And I think some of that is true. And yet, and yet I live in that tension right now of like where I do believe that God has changed some of this in me, and yet I know that like fear isn't that far away. I know that fear, like if I want to grab it, I can. I know that it's like very close by. And I, and I find myself still kind of wrestling with, with what has been like a common thread throughout my story. Um, and so we want to live like hopefully from a place of change. Um, And and when when I'm I'm speaking to you today, you know, I don't don't just want this message to be for you. I want it to be for me, too. I like what Jack Hayford says. He says, how would you treat a friend who lied to you as often as your fears do? What would you do to that friend? So how many of y'all know that not only is fear something that we all deal with on a personal level, but fear is something that saturates our world, too, right? Like, we live in kind of like a fear-based culture, you travel back four years and talk about COVID for a minute. I know everyone wants to do that. Uh, you remember how everything was just so sensationalized? Everywhere you looked, it was like a doom and gloom message about how incredibly contagious the virus was. And, 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 and it is, right? It was, it is contagious. Uh, obviously, we understand that it infected a lot of people. I know that many people like even, even died as a result of it. So I mean, it was, a, it was a big deal all over the world. But how many of you noticed that for how contagious COVID was, fear was much more contagious Way more contagious. And here's why. Because fear is highly contagious. It's highly contagious. How many of you have noticed how your anxieties seem to have a way of transferring into your children? You ever notice that? Like there's a way that a way that you see life, a way you frame up life, a way that you kind of worry about things, and all of a sudden you start seeing it in your little kids. You're like, oh, I guess I'm shaping them (laughs) by my my fear. Like, how many of you have noticed how people can quickly become glued to like fear-based news? And then they propagate that message to people they know who then become more fearful. It just continues. It's, it's contagious. Fear is highly contagious. And it is one of the primary tactics of the enemy to get us to disengage from a life of faith in God. And so look at this, this big thought. Like fear breeds more fear. Okay, That's the problem with it. It's never just like, like a one-off thing. It, it has a way of, of growing and perpetuating and getting larger. And it just, it just breeds more and more fear. In fact, studies show that 95% of your fears never end up happening. Did you know that? But that doesn't keep those fears from compounding or those fears from multiplying. They They just continue to be there, even though, you know, chances are they'll never happen. Mark Twain says it like this. He says, I've been through some terrible times in my life, a few of which actually happened, right? A few of which actually happened, and so what I want us to do here um, as we continue through this message is I want us to look at the role that fear plays in our lives and really the invitation throughout Scripture to not be afraid. It's an invitation. I want you to see the invitation from God today. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be afraid. But the challenge with that is that we all know that fear is a really big deal. Like there's a fear of the unknown. There's, there's the fear of change. There's, the, as I mentioned, the fear of failure or rejection or death, right, the fear of the economy. You know, stock markets and the demise of civilization. Like, we're all just, like, going to, you know, die. And, like, the America's going to fall apart and all of of that stuff. And uh, the social fears. And in recent years, there's also been plenty of political fear. Fear of, like, the Democrats and fear of the Republicans and whatever. And a lot of people are worried, for sure, about the economy, and probably for good reason. But um, I, I know a lot of people who, you know... Uh, worried about losing their jobs or people worried about mortgage interest rates and all of that kind of stuff. And I know people who are worried about very significant health issues. And and some of you, man, you might be worried about the decisions that your kids are making, or you might be worried about the decisions that you're making, quite honestly. And then there's all these things that are outside of our control, like the war in the Middle East. Like, what do we do with that? The next presidential election, which is super fun. And and then you might be worried about, you know, like AI and how it's going to take over the world. Which I bring that up because it actually could happen, right? Like, it's like a thing. It's like, uh, what is going on? How are we alive at a time like this? Um, and so I want to talk for a few minutes about the ways in which we can become, I think, co-opted and impacted, formed and paralyzed by fear, okay? And I think that, that a lot of people would say, this is what I think. I think a lot of people would say that fear is the opposite of faith, and that sounds pretty good, right? You see those shirts or those slogans like, uh, you know, faith over fear and all of that. People would say that faith is the, or fear is the opposite of faith. Uh, I would suggest this idea to you this morning, if you're taking notes here, that fear um, actually is faith. It's just faith in the worst possible outcome. I think it is faith. I think fear is faith. Some of us have more faith than we know what to do with. We're just pointing it in the wrong direction, which is why if God could free you from this fear, you know what might happen? Like, you you may... find yourself transformed into a powerful person of faith because you're already, you're already used to living with, with faith. It's just pointed in the wrong direction. And so think about it. Think about it this way. Like, man, if I have enough faith to believe for the worst, what is stopping me from having enough faith to believe for the best? And I want to remind you today that, that if, you, if you are worried, if you, if you have uneasiness about things, if you, if you are panicked in any way like most people are, fear is not from God. That I'm, not, I'm not shaming you in any way. I hope you don't take that as shame like, or embarrassment at all. Like, I just want you to understand that like fear, it's not like he's, he's giving you this fear so that you can like learn something. Fear doesn't come from God. He's not the source of fear. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. So this isn't a spirit that comes from God. right? It's a spirit that comes from our enemy. And, and so when we, are, when we are tied up in fear, I want you just to understand that like you're in a war, right? You're in a war. And there is an enemy who wants to destroy your life and get you to be bound in fear. Um, did you know that, that oftentimes fear does not start out as a spirit? So it says here in 2 Timothy that God does not give us a spirit of fear. So that it's a spirit, right? There's a spirit of fear that people carry at times. But, but oftentimes fear doesn't start this way. It doesn't always start out as a spirit. Usually, fear begins as an emotion. It's an emotion. It's a natural response to maybe something going on. But the longer we stay there, the longer we live in that emotion, we invite the spirit realm to come and reinforce that fear. That's what happens. And, and, then, it, and, then, and then as a result of that, it's, it's become like a bigger battle that, you know, than it was when it was just an emotion that we were dealing with. And so I want you to just be encouraged today in this idea that like, fear doesn't come from God. He hasn't given this fear to us. But we have to make sure to not live into that fear to the point that it converts from an emotional issue to a spiritual one, where it's just something that, like, yeah, like that, I, like that's not good news. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? To where we learn how to like transfer that emotion quickly over to God and like put our trust in Him, or because if, if we don't, what happens is, is the longer we sit there, what was an emotional issue becomes a spiritual one, and it's even that much more difficult to fight and, and to break free from. I like First John four eighteen. Because it says, it says there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love. Or another way of understanding this is complete love, right? I mean, I know that there is, there is complete love and there is incomplete love, right? There, like, like that's, not, that's not like the full thing of what love is, it's sometimes what we see and experience. And um, so, complete love, complete love is God. Scripture tells us that God is love. Not that he loves, but that he is. Like he is, he is the, the embodiment. He is the definition of love. He is love. And so complete love is, is, is God. But look, it is also God in us producing Christlikeness that can be then shared with other people. And so when you think about how his perfect love drives out fear in us, that's awesome. But then his perfect love in us is able to be used to drive out fear in other people as we share that love. So I find it so interesting that, that that we are repeatedly commanded throughout scripture to not fear, and that this is a massive meta-narrative of the Bible from cover to cover. And yet, even though we are commanded to not fear, how many of us still struggle with it? How many of us still are bound up in it? And, and, uh, and I think what we don't understand always is that like the perfect love of God is in us and it is, it is ready, willing, and able to, to, to drive out that fear, to, to move it out. But also we, we forget like our role in this world too as, as like people who are, you know, meant to really be the embodiment of Christ, to carry like his nature, to carry his goodness, to carry his love to other people and how we have a responsibility and a privilege to help drive fear out everywhere we go. To be like a non-anxious presence when everybody else is, is anxious and worried and everything is, like, is, is, is falling apart in the world. Like We can step into these moments as a non-anxious people with a non-anxious presence and love with Christ-likeness and watch it drive fear out of the situation. And so, and so yeah, fear breeds more fear. Number two, fear clouds our judgment. It clouds our judgment. Um, yeah, I, I was uh, uh, I was reading this story uh, recently about a about a guy who he uh, was was uh, delivering a package. He walks up and, and he sees this sign on the guy on the, on the on the fence of, of these people's house, and it just says "Beware of dog." Right, and, and uh, pretty soon he sees the the owner walk out of the house, and he's got this really tiny dog with him. It uh, can't hurt anyone, and uh, uh, and, and so the delivery man, like probably an Amazon worker or something like that, and he, he's just like, he kind of talks to the guy about his sign. He's like, he's like that's a silly sign. Like, he's like that, that dog can't hurt anyone. And the owner says, you're right, but the sign can. He says, but the sign can. You see, a lot of times we fear things that really can't hurt us, but the sign can, the thought of it can. And before long, we're making decisions about things that aren't even true. Because fear has a way of clouding our judgment. You ever noticed how fear makes us do like extremely crazy things? Uh, when I was a kid, I was, I was young, and some of you might remember this show. It was like a, um, uh, it was kind of like in the, kind of in the same realm as like, like a 2020. or it was, it was called Rescue 911. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And uh, I, I don't know, I was in my parents' room. They were watching TV late, and I, and I was just, I was watching it too, and, and I, I remember getting, like, traumatized by an episode that I saw of, like, a guy who broke into a home, and, like, I think he, I think he like, killed someone in the house, and I was, like, I was, like this is a true story? Like, th- like, I thought TV wasn't true, and, uh, and so for, like, s- some years that followed, right, like, I, I remember, like, I would take the trash out as a kid, and I would, like, sprint from the door to the dumpster, and then I would sprint from the dumpster, like, back inside, like, you ever notice how fear makes us do crazy things? It does, it just does, uh, like, like, you know, you, you, you have, like, wars that break out or, or crazy things go on in, in society and there's, like, a run on the banks. So everyone's pulling their money out or, or, you know, COVID hits and everyone's buying all the toilet paper off the shelves, you know? It's like, like yeah, uh, just wild. Like, like, don't know how to handle this virus. Maybe, maybe this toilet paper will fix it. So um, <laughs> and what we know is that when fear takes over, all rationality is gone. Like, you're just not rational when you're full of fear. Is that true? Let me look at, this, look at this thought with me. Fear has a way of accessing a part of our brain that makes it very difficult to think clearly. And when you're just reacting, like, this is where you're just like reacting in the moment, and the fear makes you do irrational things. I like what uh, Henry Hypenin uh, says. Um, he says this, he says, fear makes us very stupid most of the time. That's probably enough right there, right? <laughs> it undermines academic performance. You can be the smartest person in the room and fear will make you do something stupid. It hinders our cognitive abilities and problem-solving and prevents group intelligence, yet we are still quite unprepared and uninformed about uh, how to prevent fear from doing harm to us as individuals. Almost every person in this room, almost every person you meet has some type of deeply embedded fear. It informs how they think, it informs how they vote, how they engage politics, how they view social issues, everything. Like deeply embedded fears. And I want you to just think about this, that if the primary way in which you relate to the world is through fear, is it possible that that's not the Jesus way? Is it possible that that's not like like, like the idea that God has for us? You see, the Jesus way is not marked and formed by fear, but it's, it's, it's marked and formed by love. A perfect love that pushes out fear, that drives out fear, that casts out fear. Let me give you this third third idea. With fear, fear redirects our energy, doesn't it? It's like you're going in this direction, and, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, this like, like amygdala gets triggered and, and you're like fight or flight. Like now you're going in another direction. Okay? As a way of redirecting our energy instead of stepping up, a lot of times we step down. Instead of helping others, we, we become almost hyper-focused on ourselves and like, what do we gotta, what do, we gotta do? And um, you go, go on in First John 4, in, uh, verse 16, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because look, in this world, we are like him. That's really interesting. In this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We just read that, right? But because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So John, the apostle, right, he's trying to get these people to live in a way of love. So he writes to them. You know anything about the apostle John? Like he writes, he's kind of like older man at this point. He's kind of writing to to, to these people as a father. He refers to his readers as like his dear children, And he tells them not to be formed by fear, but to be formed by love. Genesis tells us in the beginning that we were created or we were formed into the image of God, right? But man, ever since then, there have been many, many, many things seeking to do the very same thing, to make us or form us into its image instead of God's. We're supposed to carefully watch what it is that's forming us so that love, not fear, is what shapes our life, everybody. I think John is basically saying this. Again, if you're taking notes, that the number one way to deal with your fear is by serving someone with complete love. With complete love. He says, he says God is love, all right? He says perfect love drives out all fear, but in this world, we are like him. In other words, like, like as I mentioned earlier, like we carry this very same Christ-likeness. We carry this spirit with us. And one of the primary ways you can remove fear out of your life, I believe, is by serving someone with a a complete love, with a Christ-likeness, with a Christ-like love. You watch your fear leave as you serve someone with complete love. Watch your fear get smaller. Watch your fear just not be as big. Watch it not occupy so much of your mind and so much of your thought life when when you use your life to serve someone else, to make a difference in someone else's life. Here's why, here's why fear is such a problem, I, I think, because, because fear, just to be clear, it doesn't jeopardize our standing with God, but it does cause us to malfunction in our ability to be useful to him. I want to make that clear, because like, there's a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, many of us in here, and I have been one of them, and, and probably will be tomorrow, but like there, there's a lot of us who... Man, we battle with fear so much, and I want you just to know, like, it, it doesn't jeopardize your standing with God. It doesn't, like, steal your salvation from you. Like, you're still a, you're still a child of God. You're, you're still destined to spend eternity with him. But what fear does, when it gets into our spirit, is it causes, causes us to malfunction. Fear's a lot like a dislocation, okay? So when you think of, like, like, a limb, like, when you dislocate your arm, you know what happens? You still have your arm, but it just doesn't work right. Right? With fear, like you're still saved, you're still a Christian, you're still part of the family, but but you struggle to function properly. This is good, this is good stuff. Okay. Like you, you understand like, like why your enemy wants to get you to like embrace fear so much? It's because it gets you to malfunction or or, or to a place where, where you're not able to just work right. And you know, have you ever ever wondered why the enemy makes it such a priority to promote fear? I mean, it's this right here, because, because it stops us from being people who can, like, be used by God to drive fear out in other people's lives with that same complete love. Now, without us all grabbing on to shame, okay, because we don't do shame here, but without us all grabbing on to shame, let me, let me uh, tell you how all of this happens, okay? Look at this thought. Fear is the act of agreeing with the enemy. There's just probably no better way to understand it than that. When, when God looks at a situation, how many know he has a perspective, and if you, were to, if you were to adopt his perspective on the situation, how many of y'all think you'd still, you'd still be afraid? The enemy has a perspective on the same situation. And it, it doesn't bring, like, life and goodness and hope and all of those things. And when we, when we begin to fear, what we're doing is we are basically agreeing with the, what the enemy sees. We're agreeing, like, his thoughts on the situations. Anytime you believe a lie, you empower the liar, and this is what happens when fear takes us hostage. We agree with the enemy. We empower the liar. And this is why the Bible, again, in the Bible, God repeats this command over and over and over again to be careful, to not fear. Because he's showing us how the enemy works and how vulnerable we are to this scheme. Let me just give you like a few examples. I don't, again, I didn't have time to do the whole 365. Um, but, you know, Joshua 1.9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is with me. There's one of them, right? One of the four. I will not be afraid. There's the second one. What can man do to me? Isaiah Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Again, that's two right there. Like, don't fear. God will come. He'll be with you, right? And so check out this thought, because this is, this is an important way to kind of understand how these all weave together. This command to not be afraid is framed under the promise that God is with us, which we talked about two weeks ago. It's framed under this promise. Like, like if you think about it this way, like if Jesus was in the flesh right now, like if you could visibly see him with your eyes and you had him right beside you in the midst of your fears, what do you think would happen to your fears? You think they'd probably still exist? Do You think they'd probably be like, yeah, probably not that big a deal. I got Jesus. Um, man, God isn't trying to trivialize the scary and difficult things we face at all. I'm not trying to make light of any of it, but he is trying to help us understand that he is with us, that he's on our side, and so because of that, we should have nothing to fear. Let me say it this way, the command to not fear is all about the proximity of God to us. It's his faithfulness to be near us, to not leave us, to not leave us to our own devices or to figure things out on our own. God is saying very clearly, like, you don't have to be afraid because I am with you. You don't need to fear because you're not alone. You don't have to be afraid or to fear because even though everybody else abandons you, I never will. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Zephaniah 3.17, for the Lord your God is living among you. There it is. There's one of them. He is a mighty Savior. He'll take delight in you with gladness, with his love. There's one of them. He will calm all your fears. Is there another one? He'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. You guys can go ahead and come on up. We'll get ready to close here. I want you to see this um, really important thought uh, before you start thinking about lunch. Uh Look at this, look at this on the screen. When, when God tells us to not fear, okay, he's not doing this to expose what we're doing wrong. He's not trying to tell you like, oh, stop, stop fearing, like you got it all wrong. He's not shaming us for having struggles with fear, rather he's telling us that within reach is the grace to be victorious over it. It's within reach, he's right there, he's close by. Victory over fear is within reach because God is close by. When God gives a command, let me tell you what he does. When God gives a command, when God gives a command, he empowers us to do what we previously could not do. And when he commands us to not fear, like he doesn't, he doesn't his expectation is not that we would effort our way, you know, and figure that out ourselves with our own strength. Instead, he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live into a life that is not bound up in fear, but in, but in freedom and in victory. He gives us the power to live that way. Now, I don't know if this message is landing for any of you today. I don't know what your story is, and I don't know if some of you, man, like, fear is a big part of your journey. I want to just tell you, man, I have so much compassion on that. I, I have no, no judgment for that. Uh, life is hard. Life is difficult. You know, we live in a fallen world. Our bodies don't work the way God designed them to. Our world doesn't work the way God designed them to. And, uh, man, it can, it can feel difficult, and it can be difficult to live by faith. So much of our default mode is to, is to function more with fear anyway. And so I want you to see this important thought. Having the experience and emotion of fear is not a sin, but partnering with it is. And that's the tension that we got to feel. It's not a sin to, 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 like, to like be afraid every once in a while or to feel the fear and the emotion or the experience of it. Partnering with fear is. Here's what I mean by that embracing fear as though it were true is where we get into trouble, where we get into trouble. When God says do not fear, he's not telling us to no longer feel it. Let me make something very perfectly clear. To feel fear is not a sign of spiritual weakness. When God tells us to not fear, he's saying, hey, turn your gaze outward. Turn your gaze outward, not inward. Turn it outward because you're not alone. Turn your gaze outward. Look, I'm here. You're gonna be all right. It's not a sign of you being like spiritually weak. Just because you feel the experience or the emotion of sin. But look, be careful to not partner with, with fear. To Not join forces with it. To not, be careful to not listen to the lies of the enemy that want us to just kind of live in this constant state of panic and worry and struggle. And like, we've got to be in control all the time. Here's maybe the best news for some of you today, because this might actually like like set some of you free. Deliverance from fear begins when you are no longer impressed by the size of your problems. That's when it begins. When you you are able to correctly see the size of the problems that you're facing in, in, in relation to the size of your God, it all just pales in comparison, doesn't it? Isaiah 51. This is what God says. He says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Okay, there's another one. I am with you, right there. Who are you that you fear mortal men? The sons of men who are but grass. They're nothing, and you're afraid of them? That's what God is saying. Like, who are you that you fear mortal men that you forget the Lord your maker. Like, have you forgotten, like, who I am? Have you forgotten? That's what he's saying here. Have you forgotten? They are no match for me. Like, I am good. Like, God is saying, I, I, am, I am big enough. So God is asking his people why they are so intent on fearing mortal men that they forget the Lord. That they forget the size of their problem is no match for the size of their God. Have you ever been amazed at the size of your problem? Anybody? Just be honest. You ever been amazed at the size of your problem? to the point that you seem to forget how much bigger your God really is? You ever ever just had some news and you're like, I don't know, this is big, this is big, this is real big? We gotta refuse to be impressed by the size of our problems and one of the only ways to do this, let me tell you, one of the only ways to do this is to force yourself to worship. Like to force yourself to praise God. To force yourself to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, Paul says. One of the biggest ways you start to turn the narrative around, where you start to appropriately see the size of your God in relation to the size of your problems is you begin to worship, you begin to praise, you begin to rejoice. Let me just say say it like this, and I'm out. Anybody can rejoice when they have joy. Joy. In the kingdom of God, you rejoice to obtain joy. It's the difference. Life is good for you. Not that hard to 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 have joy, is it? In the kingdom of God, like we are invited into this, like we are invited into this, where we start to worship, we start to praise, we start to we start to turn like like the narrative in our mind around, and we fix it on God. And what happens? Like as we rejoice, we start to obtain. Joy, and it doesn't always make sense because our circumstances haven't fully shifted. God hasn't performed, like, the miracle, you know, like, yet or whatever, and, and we're still in the circumstance, but as we've pressed into God, like, as we have forced ourselves to worship even when we don't feel like it, to praise a good God even when we don't feel like it, or even when we feel like our circumstance isn't good, man, man. Man, it, it, this is the recipe, this is the secret sauce of the kingdom of God. You start to obtain joy. It starts to fill you. Rejoicing, you know what it does? It causes your thought life, your emotional life, and your physical body to begin to align with what God has made available for you through Jesus. And in that obedience, in that kind of obedience, even when you don't feel like it, even when your circumstances haven't shifted, in that place of obedience, you know what happens? Victory over fear comes to you victory over fear starts to happen it starts to show up and so it's like god i don't know i don't even i don't even know what to do here i don't know what to do it's like king jehoshaphat in second chronicles 20 where he says he says we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you We don't know what to do i'm focused on you would you stand with me here uh, this morning as we close out want to go ahead and just invite the prayer team forward, those who are um, going to be uh, up here uh, available to prayer, to, uh, to minister to you. If you need any kind of ministry today, um, uh, they're, they're more than willing uh, to come and pray with you. If there's anything around fear that we've been talking about, if you've got some issues going on in your body, you need healing, anything in your mind, you need some emotional healing, all of that stuff, you just need someone to, to listen and agree uh, that God can, um, can encourage you and lift your head today. Uh, lift your spirit, man, they're willing uh, and able to uh, pray for you. Would you just bow your heads here? If you would just acknowledge right here, just say, Pastor Jordan, you've been talking about some things. Feel like feel like you had my number today. Uh, I, I'm definitely battling some fear and I want freedom and victory in that area. Can I just see your hands? You know, this is you. got some, okay, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to pray for you, but then I want you to come get prayer, okay? I'm going to pray for you, but then I want you to come get prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray over every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray first and foremost that all shame would go. Every assignment of the enemy to bring shame and guilt and condemnation, that it would go now in Jesus' name. I thank you that those things do not come from you. That fear is not an assignment from our good Father, but fear is an assignment and, an attack, and a tactic of the enemy. And so first we recognize what it is intended to do to get us to disengage from you, God, and to think that you don't want us near you but lord i pray right now you would start to overwhelm those emotions god where we don't feel like we're uh like like we're worthy we don't feel like like maybe you're 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 pleased with us god i pray you start to overwhelm those emotions as you draw near to us you you come closer in proximity to us right now i pray that your presence would be obviously felt over every person here today i ask god that all fear would come and, and and be gone now in jesus name We tear down every obstacle, we tear down every wall, we tear down every mindset in Jesus' name. God, every spirit of fear, I speak to it now. You have no place, you have no right, you have no inheritance in the lives of God's children. And so we send you to the foot of the cross right now in Jesus' name. And I pray freedom and life and wholeness and liberty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.